0: Welcome to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The Edge Podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable and successful for years to come. This week on the Edge Podcast, I welcome fellow nsc member, Scott Graham. Scott is the founder and president of OMS Consulting Firm. Scott offers 18 years of practical OMS practice management experience. He has a wealth of knowledge of practice transitions, mergers, acquisitions, recruitment, revenue cycle improvement, billing and coding, workflow optimization, and process inf- improvement training. Scott, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Terry. It's a privilege and an honor to be here.
0: Well, we're happy to have you. We don't have too many people in the OMS space, which you clarified for me is oral maxillofacial surgery. So I'm sure there's also a crossover there with dentistry, and then they get into the medical side when we talk about insurance coverage. So this is great. I'm I'm happy to have your experience with us today.
1: Yes, in fact, that's unique about our specialty because these uh, oral surgeons, as you know, they're a dentist, and then they go four more years after Their dental training into a specialty, specialty such as oral and maxillofacial surgery. So when they come out, we have to credential them both in the medical plans and the dental if they want. Most of them prefer to, you know, to uh, credential in both medical and dental because, as you know, they're dealing with the facial fractures and biopsies.
0: And so forth. Yeah. My, my uh, niece is, um, well, actually my, the wife of my nephew, my niece, we call her my niece. She is a dentist and just opened up her practice also to um, OMS surgery, you know, the fascial And she's like, I didn't realize there was a whole other, you know, world of insurance that's away from dentistry. And I'm like, yep, here, here we go. So I think what would be good today is where our topic is really something that's general, but I think you're specialized. Um, insight and experience in the area. will also give some um, good tips to some of those people that are maybe not be in the OMS space, but are in the space of credentialing and payer contracting. I think we have a lot of providers that believe, oh, you know, I can open up a new practice. I can do this on my own. Or they just tell their, you know, inexperienced biller or office manager, hey, I need to be on these contracts without negotiating experience. And I think that runs into some trouble. So, Let's start with this. So there is a difference between credentialing a provider and contracting, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Okay. So what what do you see in that?
1: Well, as you know, the uh, the credentialing this has always been a pain in my you know what, because it it is so time consuming. Mine too. And, and tedious because uh, these con you know these each insurance companies they'll send you your their. Uh, their contracts, and some of them have been up to 50 pages, but I've noticed there's several tools out there, You know, for example, the CAQH, which allows these providers to put on all their information, where they trained, their licensure, their mail practice. So that helps the credentialing process go a lot quicker. And some of the other insurance companies, you know, if you're dealing with Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, they have another um, portal of Availability, I believe that's the name of that portal. And that is they're trying to help the credentialing process uh, expedite this, as, as you know.
0: Right. And I think just so everyone knows what a CAQH is, because that is a CAQH.org. Scott is right. That is actually a tool or website. And it's really what it, it, I guess I call it an alliance of health plans. So providers and related organizations, they, they work together so that the physicians can just and, and any provider, dentists and, um, you know, the, the OMS phys- providers, they can put their information in one spot and then you can grab it from there. Is that pretty much correct?
1: Yes and and that's a great uh, point Terry and then uh it's imperative that you keep track of that because their licensure, sometimes they uh, they expire you know there different state licenses and they're in Missouri is the called the BNDD the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs in different states as they know as you know they have uh you know maybe 3 to 5 years uh terminations so you have to keep Uh, up to date with these documents, mail practice insurance changes. Um, So you got to keep that up to date. And it's imperative, as well as if there's any um, satellite offices uh, that these doctors are going to. So it's a great tool. I really like uh, the CAQH. It's a great tool for those
0: It is very helpful. And I I just just to give our listeners just a little bit of understanding too, you know, because it is free, it's an online profile. But remember, you have to have everything ready before you start to attempt that you want to have you have your NPI numbers, if you've got tax ID numbers, professional liability insurance, I mean, think about how what you have to have ready to buy a house. (laughs) It's kind of like that you've got to have all your ducks in a row, your business addresses. And one thing Scott mentioned is how you have to keep it up to date especially with certain enrollment forms. I'm just thinking, you know, Medicare, or some of the government plans, um, Medi-Cal, you have to make sure every location is also updated and your phone numbers and your bank accounts and all that. So, you know, even though this profile, and this tool is great, make sure you have everything ready to, to do that. So c- talking about um, credentialing, one thing that I've noticed is that some groups will hire physicians and they don't check their credentialing first. Have you run into that at all before you try to even get them on a plan?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's what we do is when we uh, entertain or even, you know, consider uh, hiring a a new provider, that's the first thing we do is we'll get a background check. You know, as you know, there's a database out there for any type of uh, lingering uh, male practice suits or anything to that effect. That's a different uh,
0: different animal so, altogether. Yes, <laughs> yeah.
1: and then there's the yeah, it's the database, and then as well as the uh, uh, CAQH because sometimes that may not be up to date. So as you as you uh, mentioned, credentialing is very imp- imperative that we have to get this before the insurance companies uh, before you even contract with them.
0: And it's not just the the MD and DOs and you know the DDS. It's also their mid-level mid-level providers that can bill directly to a payer too, correct? That's correct. Okay. Okay, because I know They're sometimes that's a licensed that's practitioner. Less. Yeah, any licensed practitioners also have to have this credentialing. So kind of the difference there before we get into contracting, it seems like credentialing means you're kind of um getting that how do I put this? You're kind of getting that provider ready to then say they're, you know, they've been checked through, they're updated, here's who they are, kind of their profile. And then you want to get into contracting. Is that fair?
1: That's, yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay. And that's, as you know, before you even entertain the idea of contracting, it's imperative that you get all these uh, where they trained and every, uh, it's their life history, basically, they're in professional career, that is. As you know, it's just the all their information, where they went to school, their licensure, every little thing about their, their professional life, they want to know that information.
0: Well, and for the listeners, a lot of them want to say, well, I haven't got them credentialed yet, so can I bill under another provider? No, 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 no. The whole point of getting credentialed is to get those background checks to make sure legally that provider can you know bill for services there's not like you mentioned um you know any kind of malpractice pending there's there's they haven't been told to opt out of a certain payer and so this isn't a step you can't you can't gloss over and you can't skip before you get into a contract is that correct
1: yeah you're absolutely right and we didn't talk about being board certified as well Oh as you know working with residents you know there is a a window they have uh before they become uh Board certified, they all take the written and then their oral. But I know in some cases these hospitals won't let them get on staff unless they're board certified. And then same way with these insurance companies, and say, and I say that's just not a uh, across the board, but some may require that they're board certified.
0: You know, I saw something recently, and and I, this is kind of a side note. I don't know if you've ever run into this, but it just brought up something that I was dealing with with a client, and then a non-client or a potential client. And they told the practice they were board certified. The practice didn't have them prove it with their paperwork and documentation. And they assumed they were. And then the payer found out they weren't. And that was a mess. Have you ever dealt with that?
1: Uh, No, but I've I've experienced that with, it's a funny story. I'll digress. My wife is a physical therapist and was training some individual. And that uh, individual wasn't licensed. So they had trained for all summer for these high school. Games or or fall. Come yeah. to find out, to get their licensure, they had to have the, uh, the 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 licensed practitioner that they trained under their their information. Come to find out, he wasn't licensed, so oh. all that training was for nothing.
0: Yeah, you know, everyone, on the listeners, you need to verify. <laughs> Scott could not be more clear on that. I mean, between that and between the client I had, you, you can't just, you know, there's no saying, oh, yeah, I'm this. No, you, you have to verify, make sure people ha- who they, they are, who they say they are, and, the, you know, do the background check and make sure then credentialing process does that. You know, you go through the credentialing process and they ask so many questions. I mean, they want everything short of your, you know, firstborn child. You've got to really do your due diligence. Otherwise, like, you know, Scott said, you could find yourself in a training program spending all this time, money and effort and staff time. And then at the end of that, think, oh, no, we can't use this person. So boy i've seen that happen yeah so yeah that's not good so let's move on to contracting so let's say we did everything we need to do we got we got our provider um either md do you know um, any provider that's licensed we got them all credentialed okay so now we're going to the payers and trying to get a contract or be basically what it's called is be in network with the plan which Nowadays, it's tough because, especially with the No Surprise Act, a lot of the panels for in-network, they're closing them, which has been frustrating. But here's where I was wondering about the challenges you've dealt with, especially in the OMS space. So are the group, contra- sorry, group contracts easier to get versus a contract with a single provider, or do you find that it's, it's not any different?
1: it's really not any different I I could tell you when you hire a new uh provider for your for your group practice that is it it's the, still the same process uh you still have to go through the the contracts and these insurance companies now with after covid it, it's we found that it's taking longer uh, because a lot of these workers are working from home and they don't really have the uh the resources or the uh, the infrastructure in place to handle all these uh, these requests. So we've found it you know it's imperative when you hire a new uh, provider. Then if you can get all the credentialing information before you start completing the the insurance contract, because that uh, is important as well. And that would take so much time before they are even allowed to see patients.
0: Yeah, and the, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. One thing I'm still surprised at, you know, we the is over and we were three years out from the, the pandemic thing, but um, one thing I found is interesting is even when I get a call back from an insurance plan or I try to call them in customer service, I'm still hearing barking dogs in the background, kids in the background. I'm like, <laughs> I know you're not in an office setting, so I'm just like, and apparently you're at home and you know what? Yeah, this isn't working for me. But one of the things on the contract um, that I was interested in, and I noticed that I know on my space now, I'm not doing credentialing or payer contracting much anymore, unless it's a client who, who begs. Basically, I usually try to outsource it. But I've noticed that there is a difference, even though it may not be a difference in the work that's done. But the insurance companies seem to have um, control if it's a group contract and they like it to stay with the group versus someone who. Is individually trying to contract, and then a doctor leaves a practice and they want to take their contract with them and they can't, right? That's true. Okay. How does that work?
1: Well, you know, when you say they take their contract with them, I've seen Terry where they like to take their fees, what they're getting, you know, reimbursed with them. And that doesn't always work. And we've, we've, uh, came across that when another doctor would buy, and I'm digressing here. I apologize. But when, uh, You know, if there's a merger uh, or another single uh, doc buying out another practice, they may not get those same fees uh, reimbursement. So that's something that you can always reach out and I would be transparent of what they're getting paid if they're joining another practice uh, and then now what they're entering. So that's to me, I, I would advise our listeners that I find is being transparent, find out from your uh, your insurance carriers, what the reimbursement is. And then sometimes these older practitioners, they may be grandfathered in some plans that, that will allow the new practitioners to enroll in.
0: Okay, and with group contracts, I noticed that they will credential providers enlist them under the group contract, and that's, if it's a big practice, I would say that, you know, if you've got a client that's saying, you know, we're a 10 provider practice or whatever, that is best for the group, but it, it doesn't, it you know, that contract seems to stay with the group indefinitely. But again, that's if true. the doctor leaves, it, it they have to go then try and get an individual contract at another time, right?
1: That's correct. If okay. they go, you know, down the street or into another state, uh, as you know, that it, that's when it comes tricky is when they go to another state. Yeah. Um, but as far as them going to, let's say, a cross state, they may not get the same reimbursement they had in a group uh, practice.
0: Now, what have been in and again, I'll just go back to your space because it's so interesting to me that when again, since I have family members in there, but a lot of dentists didn't realize when they got in the the surgery space that it's medical not dental but how have you had any challenges as far as um fees or um location as far as negotiating good contracts and fees or or what is your expertise making sure that the payers aren't undercutting physicians
1: you know that's and i could talk for two hours on that particular topic because Um, In oral maxillofacial surgery, a lot of these insurance companies, they're covering their oral surgery services under their medical plans. And the reimbursement isn't as high as, let's just say, if it's straight dental, like, for example, you know, another, like a Delta Dental, for example. So there we've experienced our specialty is where they, you know, because we extract wisdom teeth and there's four wisdom teeth and these medical insurance companies companies will pay 100% for the first tooth, 50% for the second tooth, because you know it's, they consider it uh, multiple extractions at the time of surgery. So we had to lobby against some of these uh, insurance companies that are doing that to our specialty.
0: Now, have you seen anything that I've seen in, I was doing a contract, I think about six months ago, and I think I almost fell off my chair. I, I just couldn't believe this was still happening in 2023 where I had two practices that were almost identical, except uh, one practice had uh, 80% female physicians and their contracts were lower. Big, big insurance company. I was like, what? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, when no, did
1: I? I haven't haven't experienced that at all.
0: Yeah, I, w- I just couldn't believe it. And I went to the payer and it was one of the biggest ones out there. And I said, have you noticed that you pay your female physicians less um, as far as the fee schedule? And they said, well, you know, and they made this thing about, well, you know, we, we want to make sure that the experience I go, no, the experience is the same. This is a this is a gender thing. And and I was just so floored that that's still happening in 2023. So one thing I, I guess I would say, and I know that doesn't happen all the time. It was just it was a fluke, I hope that I found. But um, and it was almost a dollar difference in the fee schedule. But the one thing that I, I guess I would tell our listeners and maybe you could speak to it, too, I think sometimes the payers take liberties with contracts that are signed and they adjust them without their knowledge. And sometimes I'll see, you know, EOBs. I said, you know, all of a sudden I'm seeing a reduce in your reduction in your rates. Did you sign off on this? And they'll be like, no. But then they haven't refreshed or looked at their contracts in a while. And I know that you're in the business of credentialing, you know, and payer contracts. Do you recommend anything as far as how often to go back and take a look at these contracts to make sure that's not happening?
1: Yeah, very good, Terry. So I believe in transparency, and a lot of times I've seen in practices where you have uh, people, employees, doing multiple jobs. Maybe they have they're wearing five hats, and when it comes to the credentialing and contracting, that's probably on the least of their uh, on the experience level. So they don't have the, the expertise um, for keeping track of these uh, these contracts, the term uh, limits, and also the fee schedules associated. And, and that's a great point where it would be nice to keep an eye on what they negotiated, what they promised to pay you, and, versus, and then comparing that to an EOB when you get compensated, get paid for a service, if that's the same. Because a lot of times I, I've been to practices that the EOBs don't match the fee schedules or they're not adjusted their fees. But now that's a great point then to keep an, I keep an Excel spreadsheet of all the fee schedules for all the different insurance companies.
0: Well, then you brought up a really good point. So let's say that you are the, I don't want to say the agent, but let's say that you were the consultant that was hired to um, be the, the, the negotiator for the payer contracts and to create them. Is your role once the contracts are set, do you continue with the practices and your clients to keep updated on this and, and make sure you're spot checking or how, how does that work if somebody would hire you?
1: Well, what we do is um, our, our, scope of work as i as i call it is we will go in to a practice and if they're asking us to look at their insurance contracts and look at their fee schedules and when we get in we make a lot of discoveries and save them some money potentially you could negotiate it's a lot easier on the dental side to negotiate fees uh with the dental carriers versus the medical uh, that's in my experience and so Normally, when as a, as a consultants, we get in, we get out, and then no, I don't keep unless I have a retainer, um, or if they ask us to engage in another uh, project down the road. But I bring in to the light to the uh, to the either the office manager or the doctors um, once we established an infrastructure of these contracts and and allowed amounts.
0: Okay, so it's so it's basically that they could they could continue with you with a maintenance contract type thing, um, or it could be just the initial setting it up, making sure they know and then you send them off with, this is what you need to keep looking for. Yeah, let us know if you need us in the future to help out with that, but kind of like a a roadmap to, to make sure that they're they continue with what you've negotiated for them. Is that right?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Well, I think this has been a great discussion and an introductory kind of understanding of credentialing versus payer contracts. I think our listeners are going to be excited about that. And Scott, I just want to thank you for being here and being our subject matter expert today on the podcast.
1: Well, again, Terry, thank you for reaching out. It's been a privilege and an honor to, uh, to be on your podcast.
0: Well, we, we love having you. This topic could not come at a better time listeners with the unrest we're seeing financially in the healthcare and other other industries. So we definitely appreciate Scott's time and his insights. To contact Scott directly, go to the NSCHBC.org website and click on find a consultant tab, type in Scott in the first name field or Graham in the second name, last name field and you'll have his direct contact information. Also as a reminder, the NSCHBC.org website offers free monthly webinars. as a variety of topics, as well as the quarterly Medicare regulatory update that I provide for you. Please go to NSCHBC.org and click on upcoming education. So that's it for us today, everyone. Make it a great day, a great rest of your month. And thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. I'm Terry Fletcher. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at NSCHBC.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.